Hey, you guys. Welcome to the Maine and Magic podcast, your stop for all things Disney. I'm your host, Dawn Brown, and this is episode 54. Whether you're adventuring in the parks or at home via Disney Entertainment, I'm here to bring you the guests and info that'll pixie dust your experience, and we're picking up lots of new friends along the way. You can catch the links to our audio recordings on our website at mainandmagic.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Just search for the Maine and Magic podcast. After the show, we invite you to join our community on Facebook to share your thoughts about each topic and to connect with other Disney fans. In this episode, I talk with director and producer of After the Fair, the legacy of the 1964-65 New York World's Fair, Mr. Ryan Ritchie, about Epcot's 40-year history. We discuss the effect of World's Fairs on Epcot's design, Epcot purism, if Epcot had a golden age, and a lot more. So join us on the red car trolley as we take a ride to the crossroads of Maine and Magic. Welcome aboard, everybody. Today we have a grand and miraculous ride planned for you. We're going to be talking about Epcot. We are just coming off of the park's 40th anniversary and... This park has very much had a storied past, and there's lots of changes still ahead. And I wanted to just take an episode to get a little bit philosophical and nostalgic about this park. So we're going to talk about Epcot history, Epcot purism, Epcot fandom, because we all know that Epcot fans are a little bit different. (laughs) And I'm excited to have a returning guest with us this episode and it is the host of the theme park trivia show and the director and producer of after the fair the legacy of the 1964-65 new york world's fair mr ryan ritchie welcome aboard ryan hi don thank you it's good to be back i'm excited yeah us too so in our email exchange, you said, you know, you're always happy to wax nostalgic about Epcot. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that's exactly the kind of vibe I want for this episode. So you just did an episode on Theme Park Trivia Show that was specifically dedicated to Epcot. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. I finally got to watch it like two nights ago after Katie was bothering me about it for like a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually learned some stuff. And I, I have to ask you, because it's driving me nuts. Okay. You you had a little mini convo in there with the guys about the best store that ever existed and i was like what is this place what did you call it the centurion or something centurium yeah yeah where was that even in the park so that was uh basically it was in the communicore where the um Oh, I think they just closed it, but where the big main gift shop was, uh, kind of over by the Art of Disney shop. Oh, okay, um, okay. Ma- was it? Was it? Was it Mouseworks? Is that the more recent name? Am I? It could thinking? be. I remember there was like a gear motif, but that oh, mouse, that mouse gears, mouse, mouse gears. gears. That's yes. it. But but Don, that store that meant nothing to me. But Centurium. <laughs> <laughs> 
which was in its place. That was incredible. So I don't remember that at all. I only remember Mouse Gear, but I, I have a weird, like my brain does weird things with Epcot history. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm guessing it was there probably until like 90. I don't know that it made it to the 94 revamp, but I could be wrong. But there were two... Uh, two floors to it. And the first floor, as I remember, was more of your traditional, albeit in the 80s, uh, souvenirs, things like Epcot Center tennis balls and uh, clear plastic visors and uh, all that kind of stuff. But if you went upstairs uh, there, they had all this like sciencey, the kind of stuff you might see at a uh, at a like a space museum gift shop today. But, but then, I mean, it was so cool. You had, they had little versions of those things with the pins that you put your hand in, like at image works. And, uh, they had a a tops that would, that would hover and would seem to hover in space. And it was, it was the best, best gift shop ever, um, (laughs) without, without any doubt. It really was like the gift shop version of Epcot. You know, now the 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 gift shops aren't really an extension of any kind of um, uh, ethos about the park. It's just where all the plush toys are. But yeah, uh, this it, it, it was very interesting how it sort of extended the theme and and fit in with the theme and was just really really cool. Well, I'm mad that I don't remember it. <laughs> I want to go back. <laughs> um, when did you, well, we kind of briefly discussed this just a minute ago, but when did you first visit Epcot or like, what are your earliest memories of it? So I had this memory that I thought was a false memory until recently. And I, I pieced together that it actually was true after all these years. I had had this memory of getting on a monorail before Epcot was built and going over there and like being a little kid and looking through the plywood and seeing a construction zone. And I thought there's no way that actually happened, but it turns out indeed uh, there was a period of time when they had the preview center over there and you basically took the monorail over and got out. And they, I think there was a little video and some concept drawings uh, for Epcot. And uh, that was a real thing. So I was, you know, there before before it opened. It was I remember piles of dirt. So it must have been pretty <laughs> early. Um, what I wish I remembered was the uh, the monorail trip itself, because I assume that it made the loop. You know how when you come into Epcot on the monorail, yeah. you go you go the whole way around and back to the station. I assume that's how it worked at that time. I don't remember that, but I I do remember kind of like finding this hole in the plywood up on the up on the station or something and being able to to look in and see the see the magic being made. But uh, that was my very first memory of being there. Uh, and it's kind of crazy how like there's this period of time that I think of as as being time works different when you're a kid, right? So it, it feels like. Epcot was a certain way for ages. And then when you actually look at the years, it's like, well, that that version of it only existed three or four years that I'm remembering. So, um, you know, obviously the things that were redone like in 1994 it, have, were around a lot longer than some of the original stuff. And um, I, I heard on another podcast, they'd mentioned, you know, how crazy it was when the Living Seas opened 
And it felt like Epcot had been open forever without the Living Seas being open. And uh, <laughs> I it think was it three was three years. Exactly. Exactly. So it's <laughs> or actually the Living Seas opened in 86. So three and a half, four years, somewhere in there. That's but right. Yeah. And then, yeah, Wonders of Life after that in what, 89, I believe. So, uh, yeah, uh, don't get me started on Living Seas and the Seas with Emo. We'll get to that, I'm sure. But uh, Oh, yes, we will, because that was that was my pavilion for sure. But Oh, wow. I, okay. What what um what was your first time in the park? Do you remember that? I they, they all kind of run together. They um, do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's crazy because you know this stuff leaves such an impact and I couldn't have done it more than like a dozen times you know how many times did i actually go on horizons uh in my life like maybe 15 maybe 20 at the most but you know in my head like i know where everything is and and that was before you had youtube and ride videos and stuff um it it just everything left such an impact and I, I always thought part of that was um, just how long those attractions were. You know, it was really placemaking and immersive because unlike now, something like the the Guardians of the Galaxy coaster, which anyhow, uh, you know, that's a few minutes tops versus uh, what, whether you just went there for a nap or not, the uh, 35 minutes or so of universe <laughs> of energy Um just uh, kind of permeated your brain more, you know, having that much time in an attraction. So it all kind of runs together. I can remember being there before the Living Seas opened because I remember the first kind of being there when this when the Living Seas opened. Uh, but I can't really remember like my first time in the gate or anything like that. But um, everything everything runs together in a, a glorious sepia toned. Uh, <laughs> soft focus memory that uh, that is great. Yeah i I feel like my first time was it was definitely in the mid eighties, mm-hmm. but i it's I feel the same way. A lot of it runs together. Um, I do remember being like eight years old and coming home and telling my grandpa I was going to be a marine biologist because I (laughs) went to the living seas and you know as 80s grandpas do and of course I have no idea what those words mean I just know that I heard them (laughs) you know and he was just like you're gonna have to learn about a lot of fish and do a lot of swimming (laughs) you know with a cigarette hanging out of his out of his mouth but Um, yeah, I just, that, I feel like that's really where I gravitate to the the living seas and spaceship earth the most. Now, now wait a minute. Is the sea, you're, you're a big swimmer, right? Is the seas, was that part of the inspiration for that? Oh yeah. Like I literally, I went there and I, you couldn't have told me that we didn't go to the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, never mind that you just like were under the ocean and then never went back up. You just walked outside. <laughs> didn't matter. Just it didn't matter. Yeah. And I, I think I, I've confessed this before. I was I was uh, a full grown adult before I figured out the, the deal with the hydrolators. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're not the I, only one. I, I, I think I might have been too. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I knew I knew we weren't going 300 feet under the sea or whatever it was, but it sh- I sure felt we were going somewhere. And yeah. uh, <laughs> but um, just while we're at the seas, I think that like what's so funny about the seas there is that it, it, on the on the surface of it, not much has changed. And yet it's made such a huge difference because you knew you weren't actually going under the ocean and, and all of that. And even though some of the marketing was about how it was the biggest freshwater or saltwater aquarium or whatever at the time, saltwater, I guess, but, um, yeah. it didn't feel like an aquarium. You had all that set up and, and you know, it, it felt like you were deep under the sea. And this is, this is where you were. Whereas now the whole Nemo thing, I feel like, oh, these little, these little cabs take you through an aquarium. Even it's the exact same thing, you know, but but just that theming and that immersiveness that used to be there to sell it. And you're absolutely right. I never really thought about it walking out like, wait a minute, we didn't go <laughs> we didn't go back up. Hold on here. <laughs> oh yeah, I loved it. But yeah, and there's I there's bits and pieces that I I literally can't even remember. But so let's let's talk about this because one of the ones that I can't remember is one of your favorite ones. So what what pavilions really like lit your Epcot love on fire? <laughs> Are you implying, Don, that somehow I know it's a disaster. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> somehow Horizons did not properly imprint for you, huh? No, it didn't. I and I probably wrote it's like you said, I probably wrote it like a dozen or more times in all the years that I mm-hmm. went there. I mean, it was open till like 99. Right. Off so and on I was like yeah. graduated from high school by then. Like I was a whole human adult person and I <laughs> just don't I had to watch a ride through video and I'm watching it and I'm like I don't really I maybe I sort of remember this one part (laughs) just did not register with me the same way as as some of the other ones did I suspect that um for some people it kind of maybe um in your memories kind of merges with spaceship earth because there's some of the so. same, yeah, some of the same concepts and, and feel as space, the old spaceship earth. Um, but, uh, yeah, horizons was definitely, oh, definitely my favorite. And, uh, it was the, <laughs> it was the attraction that taught me about lost Don because I, oh, no. <laughs> I didn't know that it was it, for a couple of seasons, it was seasonal and we went in the summer. So it just, seemed like it was still open. I didn't know it was closing off season. Um, and then one, I guess it was maybe 99. Um, I went there and it was half demolished and I had no idea any of that was happening. I, you know, it wasn't really on the internet to, to, you didn't really get the updates we get now and everything works differently, but, um, I was devastated. Because at that point, it was like half the building was ripped down. You could see half of it there. And it was just, uh, uh, it was like, um, it was like having to flush the first goldfish down the toilet. It just. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So that one really was like the essence of Epcot to you. Absolutely. And I think that's what it was. I think it was the essence. I think it was almost a sampler of everything else. You had undersea um, scenes and you had 
so much about space and about the future. And it was kind of like the, the, uh, the thesis statement for Epcot followed closely by, by spaceship earth. But I, I think that was, um, you know, if I had to explain the, the entirety of Epcot, or at least the future world side of Epcot, to someone, I would say, that's the ride. You need to go on that. And in 20 minutes, you're going to understand the whole deal with Epcot. Did you have any particular love for any of the World Showcase pavilions? Or was it Future World or Bust for you? <laughs> I just, again, I, I guess it's because we would go in the summer. I just equate World Showcase with heat and just walking. <laughs> Are we really going to go all the way around? You know, well, maybe we could take that boat back if we get halfway. Um, always enjoyed the American Adventure show. Didn't necessarily appreciate it then. I appreciate it more now, I think. Um, but as a, as a kid, I didn't appreciate it as much. Enjoyed Maelstrom once it had opened. But I'm trying to think if there was any, I wasn't really into the, the 360 movies at that time, which is ironic because years later I was trying to make some of them. Uh, <laughs> but then, ah, who wants this? Um, I always, uh, I thought Canada was fun and um, the, the, the pavilions and the layout there. And, and, you know, there's a whole story about how they, um, that one building they were going to uh, ha- have lodging or have, uh, mm-hmm that area upstairs that, that never really panned out. Um, I just heard, I was listening to something about that and I don't, it might've been an old episode of Disney dish or W I don't something. I was just, and I was like, what? (laughs) That's crazy. I never even heard of that before. It's wild. It's wild. But, um, future world was, was my, uh, place I would definitely want to want to hang out. Uh, more than than World Showcase. That said, I mean, I still think, you know, World Showcase is really unique and for the longest time kind of flew under the radar and didn't really get um, reimagined that much, for better or worse, uh, for a long time. So, you know, it's, it's interesting now to kind of see what what pieces of the old, what glimmers of the old Epcot still exist, I think. The biggest one being Spaceship Earth, because that's probably changed the least of uh, of what's left. Um, but uh, yeah, I I just I, I was always I was always on the future world side and World Showcase. I equate with heat and uh, usually you'd get about halfway around there in time for the three o'clock uh, thunderstorm. So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't I remember not liking like if you'd asked me when I was a kid, do you like Epcot? I would have been like, I like these three things, and then I don't want to go to Epcot anymore. Mm. <laughs> like we should get on the monorail and go over to Magic Kingdom. Like why are we in this park? <laughs> but it, I think it's there was less rides, but they were longer. But sometimes you'd have to wait in a longer line. I don't know what it was, but I, I you know, impatient child just trying to do the things that you know I, why were you in china there's no ride here i don't care you know <laughs> but I, I do remember watching like the drummers in i think it's japan and you know I, I remember seeing some of those things but yeah i was i was a imagination pavilion mm-hmm. like all about figment and dream finder and i have to say that 
the worst ride ever in the history of theme parks was Body Wars. And I'm Uh-oh. so glad that it doesn't exist anymore because I feel like every time, I don't know why we kept going on that ride. It was the heat. When they pumped in the heat, like, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it, was always, it was always interesting to me how much more uh, uneasy or even sick in some cases that ride would make you rather than star tours even though it's the same you know simulator yeah Yeah. oh it was just terrible oh (laughs) my gosh (laughs) a world of motion is another one i had to watch a ride through video because it, it was like you i had i felt like i had this like false memory of being in a car not an actual but like a ride vehicle rather that was elevated and went outside and you could see spaceship earth and I couldn't figure out what that would have been. So I must've dreamed it. But then I looked and there was like a, what 22nd portion of that ride that went outside and then back inside. (laughs) And what's interesting to me about that is that, as you mentioned, I did the documentary on the 64 fair and at that fair, the Ford Skyway had something very similar where the Ford cars came out in this glass tube kind of like thing outside the building and just made a turn and went back in. And it not only showcased the cars, but it, it gave motion to the area and left, you know, it was operating and that people were having a great time. So it's interesting that the Imagineers, the next time they do a pavilion for a car company, uh, sort of give that same little feel of, you know, going outside for a moment and turning, going back in the building. Cause there's no, yeah. there's no structure or logical reason to do that. Right. Um, yeah. And that's why I was like, I don't, why do I remember this and nothing else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I do want to talk about that for a minute, your film, the, about the 1964 world's fair, because mm-hmm. That fair did, I know, like most people think, oh, the 1964 World's Fair had a great effect on Disneyland and Magic Kingdom because we have It's a Small World and, you know, all these other things that kind of came from there. But it really had a big effect on Epcot going forward, too, as well as Expo 67, which you should do a film on next. (laughs) (laughs) For anybody who doesn't know what Expo 67 is, do yourself a favor. Hit pause. Go over to Google, type in Expo 67, and then click the images tab and (laughs) hold on to your britches because I'm not saying that the Imagineers plagiarized Expo 67, but I have many questions (laughs) because some of the... uh, landscape photographs of the dome mm-hmm. with the little monorail people mover thing. Sure. It's just, sure. It hits, it hits too close. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I want, I do want to research more is in doing that 64 fair documentary. I I'm curious to know more about the companies and the people who were making these attractions who, who weren't Disney, you know, who didn't work in the theme park world. Like, uh, GM had the uh, Futurama at, at the 39 fair and then Futurama 2 at 60 at the 64 fair and they have essentially an omni mover system and they're moving people through all these show scenes and stuff but it, I, at some point I want to do more digging on 
kind of the people that that did that and the stuff at Expo 67. Uh, Expo 67 is where also where uh, IMAX comes from. Uh, IMAX was founded out of some of the large screen uh, projection things that were at Expo 67. So uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff from there. And also there was a the 360 movie that was there. Uh, I believe it was the Canada one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it was was Canada 360. Yeah, Yeah, and that obviously ended up in Epcot. And (laughs) yeah, (laughs) so they were in both. But I thought what was really cool in your documentary was, well, you you had a lot of like original footage and and pictures and stuff in there. But I loved like some of the things like when they were talking about the Belgian waffles Mm -hmm. and. there's like a little footage piece there of the Belgium like village, the pavilion. And I was, I like paused it on that and I'm looking at it and I'm like, that looks like the Germany pavilion. (laughs) Like that, like I can see how they, there's all these pavilions. You can go get ethnic food, you know, from that country or, you know, at least close enough. And like, that's what we're doing in Epcot now all these years. And you've got these pavilions that are, you know, some of them were more futuristic looking, but some of them were like about the architecture, Mm -hmm. the historic architecture from the different countries. And so they kind of like took that idea and then just made it a permanent part of Epcot with still more expansion pads. We need more, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I loved seeing that because it's, I mean, that fair happened almost 60 years ago now. I mean, there's not a lot, you know, it's like every year that goes by, you you can't get any, you can't make any new information, you know, but it's just just digging through all of the piles of information that's out there, little bits and pieces of brochures and photos and people's personal stories. After a while, you kind of like can't get in touch with that stuff anymore. So Right, right, yeah. Yeah, um, we started doing a documentary about um, there's a an old theme park that was called Willow Grove Park in the suburbs of Philadelphia, close to where I live. And it was larger than Disneyland, but it, the, the timeline was such that uh, any kind of like, you know, historic films or anything are pretty much gone. So that project kind of got put on hiatus because it was just so difficult to find visuals to go with the story. So you're right. We, we were lucky that for the 64 fair, you know, enough of that stuff existed for the documentary. And I think when you think about how it, how 64 and Expo 67 might've affected Epcot, it's so if you think about the timeline, right, Walt comes out and says, we're going to build this thing called Epcot. And at that point it's the community, the experimental prototype community. Um, and then after Walt dies, okay, what's this thing going to become? And I think it was pretty natural to kind of look around and see, well, what's even close to this? You know, and I think they, you're talking like late 60s, early 70s, they land on this idea of how a World's Fair works and how a World's Fair is laid out. Uh, and that's sort of the one of the starting points as Epcot came to be. And in the movie, Marty Sklar talked about that and how it sort of, you know, created this permanent world's fair now what's interesting to me and kind of sad is that it's harder and harder to explain to people how epcot was different as it becomes more and more 
uh, kind of like any other theme park as time goes by. You know, it's hard to to explain. Well, this was different. There weren't even characters at the beginning. And this was all about learning things. And it wasn't about uh, seeing Groot in space. And (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so it's hard now, you know, when I try to explain Oh, well, it, it was like a permanent World's Fair. You know how at a World's Fair you'd have this thing about science. And at Epcot, we have this thing about science. Well, we don't anymore. Uh, there was this thing, you know, about health. Well, we don't have that either. But uh, definitely at the beginning, you know, that, that it really was uh, highly influenced by by World's Fairs. And that's the version of Epcot that, that I will always cherish. You know, I, I feel like you're just putting things there now that could go anywhere. And that's sort of frustrating. Do you think that Epcot had a golden age? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think, I think everybody sort of thinks of, you know, when it influenced them as the golden age, but I think I can objectively say, somewhat objectively, say there were probably two and maybe three golden ages. So the first one I would say was like mid-80s, you know, the initial everything's open, well, Living Seas, maybe right after the Living Seas open. So Living Seas and Horizons are both open, uh, Journey into Imagination's open, and the opening day stuff. And that's sort of like the first golden age of original Epcot. And then I think there was a decent period... After the 1994 redo, when you got like the uh, Jeremy Irons Spaceship Earth narration and the AT&T stuff, like I just remember there was a big giant phone you could call uh, your family. (laughs) Everybody would be in a room and call this giant phone, which, by the way, was also something from the World's Fair. They had a a booth like that, the World's Fair. Uh, And then I have to be honest with you, I think there was probably a time like 2004 to 2008 where things sort of stabilized and it seemed like it, it kind of got its own um, identity again, even though wonders of life closed and, and some of that, but it sort of had its own identity for a little while. Uh, And now, (laughs) now it's just, I, I just don't, it's just one head scratching decision after another, but um you know, I think there were at least three times there, but but of course, for me, I'll always think the the mid uh, late eighties, early nineties kind of period when I, I guess right around when Wonders of Life opened, and so it was sort of like a completely full future world is probably the golden age for me. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking like maybe nineteen eighty eight ish, isn't that mm-hmm. when Nor- I think that's when Norway opened to basically. 2009 2010 and I, yeah. I i think you could really split that into two because i i think of like classic epcot as like basically the 1990s because like all the things are open there's been some changes but nothing like nothing drastic was removed if you will it was just mm-hmm. things were just altered or added and also i think then in the early 2000s the addition of the festivals and and especially during the millennium celebration, like there's something special about those 
years, like those, like the 1999, 2000, 2001 timeframe, because I feel like Epcot really like hit its stride. Like you've got the festivals, they added the Kidcot because I remember as a kid, like I, when I saw Kidcot, I was like, I wish that was here when I was a kid because then I wouldn't have hated Epcot. (laughs) You know, like it's just, it was just another way that kids could experience you know, because I do feel like World Showcase was more towards adults. Other than the rides, everything else was more towards adults. And I just felt like the Kid Cut included the kids now, like gave them a reason to want to be there because kids right. will collect things. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is yeah. like an obsession. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. I, I thought the same thing with Kid Cut. And also when they started doing the... um world showcase adventure things with um Mm -hmm. you know a couple different there was kim possible and then later the phineas and ferb uh you know i was pretty jealous about all that stuff because you're right it was like hey where was where was this when i was that age uh (laughs) to go around but yeah i think you're right i think that's probably a good time and i think just kind of the message of world showcase fits so well with people what people are thinking around that millennial celebration and as the year 2000 was coming around and you know we were all kind of uh innocent and and wide-eyed at the time and uh uh yeah i think it it, they they did a lot there um it really played into the strengths of of world showcase especially now there's too many festivals but that's a whole nother (laughs) (laughs) okay so here's another here's a question to kind of build on that Do you think that it's a golden age in your mind because of the age that you were when you were experienced it? Like, I'm just imagining like my parents taking me in the late 80s and me as an adult right now saying, oh, like 1990s was the golden age. But my parents were, you know, 30 something years old. And Mm -hmm. to them, I mean... Do you think that you think that because you experienced it as a person of a certain age, or do you think that that is a universal feeling regardless of age? Well, it's definitely, it's definitely a product of, of the age and, and being that age when that was happening. But I would also say that it was also the golden age of Epcot, the, the, the reality of Epcot sort of matching with what was at the time the stated goals and the stated intention of it. Uh, whereas now, kids might go there and have fun and it, it it might be their favorite park, especially in a couple of, you know, we're probably only eight or nine years away from being able to walk through some water there at the beginning, uh, at the front with that Moana thing eventually. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> So maybe then they'll love it. It might be their favorite park. But I don't know what Epcot is then, you know, I don't. So I think it was the golden age in terms of having sort of this vision and having that vision implemented. And now it just seems like here's space where we can put some rides and we'll, you know, well, we'll change that. We'll knock that building down and then put another building in its place. Um, You know, the, the vision of it seems muddied. So I think it was a golden age in terms of, what was there matching the vision? I do think though that in terms of, Oh, that was the greatest park ever. I mean, I think a lot of that probably has to do with, with being the right age to experience it when it was like that. I I think so too. And in fact, 
I mean, I do hear a lot of Epcot fans talk about Epcot the way that, in fact, a lot of the people in your film, the interviewees were talking about the fair. Like they talk about it, like it informed their life in some way, whether it was, you know, it pointed them to a certain career or taking up a particular passion. And do you think that removing the essence of original Epcot sort of cements an end to Disney parks influencing kids towards like STEM careers outside of, you know, outside of Imagineering, because that's always going to be something that kids associate with Disney. But right. You know, there's a kid out there somewhere or there's an adult out there somewhere that is a horticulturalist because they saw a Mickey shaped cucumber in the <laughs> land. You know what I mean? Like, But do you think that yeah. changing it now just kind of cements that that's never going to happen going forward? I, I think I think you're right. I think going forward, it might you know, you might think, wow, I'd, I'd like a career with Imagineering. But I don't know that we're getting a lot of marine biologists from the seas with Nemo. Uh I guess, you know, oh, I guess I'll get to talk to a turtle. I'll talk to Crush if I'm, <laughs> if I go to school for this. I mean, there's this, you know, there, there it isn't grounded in reality. Um, or I want to do, I want to get into uh, a career in space because uh, Guardians of the Galaxy took on Thanos. Like, I, I, I it just doesn't. <laughs> you know it doesn't the, track <laughs> no it does it doesn't it doesn't um but some of the imagineering part yeah you might but then you know that's what you're focusing on you're focusing on oh that's cool how that worked instead of wow that was a really cool thing i just got to see or do you know and it just it feels um it just feels like you're kind of uh it's like one being in wonder about the magic trick instead of just experiencing the magic of it. That's kind of what feels different to me. Yeah. It, there was like this element of unstructured play, mm -hmm. but like you said, based in the real world, even though, you know, sea base alpha wasn't real <laughs> and there was no underground sea base that existed in the world. I don't even think there is now really. It, you know, in the sense that they were portraying it, but that right. doesn't mean that it couldn't happen. I mean, we and could this... do that. And it just felt like, you know, there's a real scuba diver in the tank. That's a guy, <laughs> a real guy wearing and coming down the tube. That's what I like that. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't even care what I have to do. <laughs> I want to be the guy in the tube, but, and even the land, like the horticulture stuff and, you know, like the hydroponics and just like all of that stuff is like, you can bring that home in a sense. And a lot of, even the imagination pavilion, I mean, you, you had some questions about it on your, on your Epcot show. Um, just like you, just kids running around there with the blue screen and the different like movie <laughs> thing, like just, just yeah. let them go and like, let them discover whatever they want to discover. I don't feel like that is because now you're not getting dumped into a play area. You're getting dumped into a store. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you say that because I remember, so something else that's changed is I remember my, like my brother's a little older. So he, he was there with a friend and they were probably early teens and 
you know, they could just go and just go to Epcot and just do stuff for the day. And, you know, now, well, first of all, they better have their lightning lane uh, and they better have their genie plus. But there was this sense, like you said, of unstructured play. You could go to the image works after imagination and be there for 10 minutes or two hours and or just whatever you wanted to do. Um, and there was a lot of, a lot of discovery, a lot of uh, finding things on, on your own rather than it feeling so, so regimented uh, and on the rails now, so to speak, that you're not really um, able to just kind of do what you want to do when you want to do it. And even if you do, those aren't the experiences that are there now, like you're saying, you know, oh, let's go look in the gift shop. Oh, this has the same <laughs> stuff as the other gift shop. Uh, <laughs> so that, you know, that's, um, yeah, that's definitely something that's, that's changed. And, you know, with the seas as an example, I, it's so funny how, how that, that diver going up and down that tube is just imprinted in my mind. And I swear I never stood there to watch the whole, sh- the whole show and the whole spiel. It's just every time you went through there, there was a diver going up and down. It seemed like, <laughs> um, but the focus was on, you knew it wasn't real, like you said, and there isn't a real sea base, but the focus was the real stuff, the fish, the the science, uh, the exploration, instead of, oh, wow, look, Nemo's in with real fish, you know, and it just, it, it, the, the focus changed from the real world wonder to what Disney magic can we shoehorn into this, this real life environment instead. So you're kind of leading me into a big question, or maybe okay. it's a big question with a very short answer. <laughs> yes. So this whole time, like, we're clearly people of a certain age, and we remember Epcot being a certain way. So Disney Twitter would consider us careful, Epcot, Epcot purists, I know. <laughs> Do you, like, in your mind, what is what is Epcot purism? And do you consider yourself an Epcot purist? I'll start at the end. I, I do not, I do not consider, no, maybe I'm living, maybe I'm delusional, but I (laughs) don't consider myself what, what I consider myself is someone who appreciates a, a, a concept, a statement, a theme that you're going with. And then executing on that. Like, I've never been there, but I appreciate uh, Disney Sea, Tokyo Disney Sea, uh, because that seems like a park that has a mission, has a concept, and then executes on that. And that's what I don't see with Epcot today that I feel Epcot used to have. It's not so much for me, you know, do I, I'm upset that Horizons went away, but I wouldn't be upset if mission space felt like it um, fulfilled the mission better, you know, and it just feels like, well, we got rid of that for the thing that goes around a circle. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in that sense, um, if that makes me a purist, so be it. But I I just feel like I don't have any problem with change when it is in service to the, uh, whatever the, the, the state, whatever the stated goal is at that time. Um, and if it's better than what was there, but that's not always, that's not always the case. So I don't know. I, I, I can, uh, I would say I'm purist adjacent. Uh, 
I I understand. I don't get quite as um, upset as some folks about it, but I I think there is objectively there were things about the the vision of Epcot and what was presented that was much much stronger than it is today. I mean, I don't know how it's different than any other theme park now. It's a it's a connection of rides um, that. Disney, what what are the the three things? Future, neighborhood, na- nature. I don't know. I can't even keep it straight. <laughs> Neither. And it's I don't think world and world showcase. Right, right. <laughs> that's just what it's going to be forever. <laughs> right, and I I don't think that's being a purist. I think that's that's realizing, well, this isn't this doesn't make sense. This isn't better, you know. So, in that sense, I think sometimes. It's easy to lump everyone and as a purist when they're maybe they're just right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I think. So in my mind, Epcot purism is I believe in the mission statement of Epcot. And so in that sense, I would say, yes, I'm an Epcot pure. I mean, it literally says on the plaque here human achievements are celebrated through imagination, the wonders of enterprise and concepts of a future that promises new and exciting benefits for all. May Epcot Center entertain, inform, and inspire. And above all, may it instill a new sense of belief and pride in man's ability to shape a world that offers hope to people everywhere. I'm not getting that from Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Or even, you know... um... Like test track, it, it's fine, but to that to that mission statement, when you were done with World of Motion, you were dumped out into this area, and yes, there was the the showroom with the current GM cars, like there is now, but there were also these future uh, things of transportation, you know, that were going to come in the future, and you saw that and you got excited. There's nothing that, that tells you anything about the future at the end of any of these attractions now. Um, it's just uh, it's just a, a jumble, and I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that they canceled or at least delayed whatever it was they were going to do to Spaceship Earth, uh, because that's kind of like the last, <laughs> you know, that's like the biggest fragment left now uh, to uh, to sort of what the original mission statement was. Yeah. Well, here here I'll tell you what. This is the thing that always sum, sums it up for me is that when Epcot opened, you had the uh the teacher thing out front the teacher lounge or whatever where where educators could meet because it was educational enough to have um you know educators professors teachers come there bring students there or come themselves to learn about all this stuff and that doesn't exist anymore and that doesn't exist because here, here comes the hot take because there's nothing more <laughs> to learn there than at uh, your Six Flags. So I, I just, it's, um, you know, I have a good time there. I don't, I try to not just, you know, be the, oh, well, over there used to be. There used to be <laughs> something fun over there. Now look at it. Um, and I know some of it's ridiculous. Like, I will tell you my favorite. So you have all that cuisine from around the world. And my favorite place to eat at Epcot by far was the electric umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> we used to eat there all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that had the little secret upstairs where you could sit. But, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, by far the most 
generic food option. I would get the burger and the fries. But over time, that was like my, I've arrived at Epcot comfort food, you know? And um, so I would go there and, and, and have that every time, right up until they closed, because that to me was, was part of Epcot I could still do. Now I knew logically <laughs> that <Yeah. laughs> that wasn't some great monument to the, the mission of Epcot. So I understand when they got rid of it. Now, when they got rid of it for a mall food court, that's another discussion, but <laughs> it didn't need to, um, you know, I, I, I get that. And I get that that's a memory just from my nostalgia. So I try to separate stuff like that. Um, I'm not, I wasn't going to sign a petition to keep them from closing it or anything. <laughs> I, I get it. But I do think, as you said, with the mission statement that, you know, we, everything had a mission. I don't even know what the mission is supposed to be now. Um, it was very vague, right. When they last unveiled it and, uh, uh, but maybe a Walt statue will change everything. Oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Consolation prize. <laughs> Here's the statue of a man that came up with this incredible idea for this futuristic community and, and innovation. And we made a park as close to possible to that vision as possible, which we're now taking away and replacing it with the statue. <laughs> and it's not there. And now there's a it statue. Is- and I, pre- I predict within a week there will be um, railing around that statue. They always present it like it's this open thing and people are going to sit next to it and pictures and stuff. That's not going to happen. That- <laughs> I, I was curious about that too. Although you can – can you still sit on the bench with the Roy and Minnie statue? I feel like you can. I think you can. Um, so hopefully – hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody be good. Be good. Don't bring just, gum into the park. <laughs> I just miss when the uh, you know the 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 biggest the the biggest thing to be upset about at Epcot was the Leave a Legacy stones. You know <laughs> when they put, <gasps> we put have those things some out of front. Those. <laughs> oh, interesting. No, but we actually, did too. Yeah, they they did the wall thing with the cool like colors on it. That's just outside of the the front gate now it looks really mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. Looks they were really when, good when i was last there they were they were in the middle of removing the the stone uh mausoleum there in the front but uh, yeah i mean that was a head scratcher when they did that when they put those down in in front like that um but you know that used to be the biggest thing to get worked up about that and the wand uh <laughs> oh my god there's some people that hated that thing so much i thought it was cool <laughs> it i'm was one fine. of those people but i it also was... like the cake castle so oh geez oh boy yeah i'm no, that I... person <laughs> <laughs> but the wand for me was fine for uh the millennium it's when it it's when it didn't go away then you know <laughs> and yeah, that was it... a little bit weird because yeah. it, it was like yeah i don't really know why they did that maybe just too expensive to take it down just trying to defer it i don't right. know <laughs> right i think i think that's exactly what it was um but uh yeah i i just it's it's been a wonderful park and there are still parts of it but i'll tell you it's hard for me to like if people said okay i can only i can only i only have time to go to two parks at disney well, I think I would say Magic Kingdom and then depending on the family, if they want more thrill stuff, you know, maybe Hollywood Studios. If not, then Animal Kingdom. 
Uh, and it's just sad that my favorite park is, you know, maybe the third or fourth choice that I would tell people to to go to. So that's unfortunate. But if that makes me a purist, then maybe I am one. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think that Disney fans today just don't want the original vision like of edutainment or is this just risk avoidance by the company i think it's a little bit of both but the thing i always try to keep in mind is that as much as i loved old epcot it wouldn't have made it on its own like if you dropped epcot in kansas and there was no magic kingdom to support it 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 wouldn't have stayed open very long um it that was is a the, really good point that I did not think of, but you are not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because it it kind of um, you know, is that whole thing of of giving you the edu- the education with with the entertainment, the the I think Marty used to say 90% uh, entertainment and educate 10% or something like that. I I don't think by itself that most of America would say, "Hey, let's go and plan a vacation for 2 days at Epcot." Uh so in that sense, I see why, you know, making it more of a uh, more like a standard theme park is probably a better financial situa- uh, decision if you need 20% profit margin instead of 17%, which appears to be the, the important thing right now is, you know, squeezing every little bit that you can out of it. But, um, you know, it always was a little bit of... Uh, going to the museum, going to, to learn some stuff. And I, uh, it's like, it's like if you surveyed people and you said, well, do you want this chocolate bar or do you want a plate of broccoli? A lot of people, most people would choose the chocolate bar. So if you survey people and say, what do you, you know, do you want a park that's like this or like this? Do you want exciting thrills or do you want to learn about kelp? Um, (laughs) people are going to kind of choose the exciting thrills. Whereas then I think there was so much confidence in what they were trying to do, you know, to the, it it always amazes me that there was that period of time where they didn't have any characters there. They were so set about this, not being another theme park, so to speak that, you know, they took away the, the crutches of everything from Disneyland. I mean, the idea of that, Imagine Disney opening a park today that had no attraction based on any IP whatsoever. That's what Epcot was. There was nothing, you know, there was nothing with Frozen. And that park is called Disney's Animal Kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, they did have a bug's life. And the the Camp Mickey Minnie. Yes. (laughs) So they had the Pocahontas and her forest friends. But essentially, like, 60 70 percent of that park yeah. had no ip it was right. just stuff they made up right and i'll tell you you know this is maybe another podcast but i used to kind of rag on on joe Rody and and <laughs> but as time goes by i'm starting to appreciate that he more so than maybe we knew was sort of the voice in the room advocating for 
how things had been done traditionally because now that he's gone it seems you know we're hearing about we might get a zootopia land at animal yes, kingdom they're going to ruin it yeah. and it is a whole other podcast <laughs> because they are about to destroy the only remaining theme park that exists maybe in the whole at least the whole country <laughs> so anyway but but just to say that you know that today wouldn't fly i mean you couldn't put as much money it was the the largest private construction project just like um uh well disney world itself was when epcot was being built and okay what's your company do oh we make movies with all these characters and who's going to be at the park none of them (laughs) (laughs) you know but i yeah i do i do try to keep the perspective that as its own thing sitting by itself it would not have been uh would not have probably lasted more than three or four years. Yeah, I know there was this whole thing, argument. I guess it started really, and I I forget the year, but it had to be like 2010-ish maybe, uh, when Rio Del Tiempo got Mm -hmm. the Donald edition, like the Three (laughs) Caballeros, which is still funny to me because they literally did not go to Mexico. They were in South America, but I guess we're just ignoring all of that. Um, And people started, that was the initial meltdown of putting IP in the park. Now I'm somebody who is okay with IP in the park, but I wish that they had done it differently. So we talked about the seas with Nemo and friends and, So for that pavilion in particular, and I I think this happened really across Epcot, they started losing their sponsors. Right, right. So if you are losing your sponsors and you have to spend your own money completely, you might as well use your own IP. So my thought with the C's is you have these characters that everybody loves. I mean, Finding Nemo is a classic movie at this point. Mm-hmm. Mr. Ray is literally a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of using the ride to have Mr. Ray teach you something, they just made it like a book report. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm I... thinking, why couldn't they have taken all of these characters that everybody loves and maybe crushed maybe there's like a floating plastic bag and crush is trying to catch it and and mr ray and the fish are like don't eat that it's a plastic bag it's not a jellyfish (laughs) right because turtles eat jellyfish like there could have been an element of like using the character to teach so that you still have you still get to use your ip yeah but you use it in an educational format and then the kid leaves and they yell at their mom for getting the plastic bag. And, you know, <laughs> probably the closest they got to actually doing that was the uh, at the land with the environmental fable with uh, Pumbaa and Timon, the yeah. movie, um, which made sense. But I, I always thought, you know, if if they looked at that to decide whether to do more of that, that that was just it's hard to just have a a movie at Epcot or any, you know, Disney theme park with everything else going on to just have a movie where you sit down and it's a 2D movie and that's it, you know? So I hope they didn't look at how that was received and decide, oh, we can't, we can't do that elsewhere. But you're right. I mean, why? That's perfect. Uh, 
someone from Imagineering, get Don on the phone. <laughs> well, I was thinking the same thing too. Like uh, when they announced that Ratatouille was coming to the France Pavilion, mm-hmm. I, you know, initially I was hopeful that they were just bringing IP and not an exact replica of the thing that I wrote in Paris, which years ago was amazing, right? you know, sure. like s- such a great ride. I, and you could almost have it be the same, but wouldn't it be better? <laughs> wouldn't it fit Epcot if like you were helping Remy get the ingredients to make a specific French dish? Like, I don't know, <laughs> Ratatouille. <laughs> you can still put them in the mouse and do the screens and like have them get kicked under the cupboard and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, you know, and you have all of these characters from Frozen and trolls and things that are a part of the you know cultural history of norway and you did a book report i why (laughs) and it's like you know i you have all this land and one of the whole ideas was that it could hold all the imagination all the ideas uh ratatouille doesn't upset me so much just because we didn't lose anything to get it but the whole uh, Maelstrom frozen thing. <laughs> I mean that, you know, it, oh, maybe do another attraction with frozen. If you, you want to, why don't we expand um, capacity? It, it, they always make these moves and, and it's sort of uh, like under the guise of adding capacity, but I don't think, you know, we very rarely actually add anything. You've got the Tron maybe eventually, uh, the Tron light cycle thing happening and that didn't replace anything. So that's an add on. We'll give them credit for that. Um, but you know, it just seems like it's, it feels static. Like when, uh, when Norway opened, I know I, I, as a kid, like I thought, Oh man, that's just the first one, you know, every few years now we're going to get a new country at it. And this thing's going to take off. This is crazy. Every few years you can get excited about a new country. And then that was it. And so when they when they bring the IP in and it's without any educational value, like you said, that's that's one strike. But then when you also replace and, and kind of mow over something else, that's a whole nother thing entirely. And by the way, I have this theory. I can't prove it uh, that the Guardians coaster was supposed to be connected to wonders of life instead of the universe of energy. And I, I say that because it's actually called the wonders of Xandar is Mm -hmm. the, is the thing. And when you go in the, the opening like planetarium thing is like a big domed area. And, you know, 90% of the ride is in that giant building they built anyhow. So 80%. So they could have, uh, you know, easily had the, the the have that big building connect to Wonders of Life instead of Universe of Energy. But I just wanted to get that on the record because <laughs> you heard years from part. now, when that comes out, people will know that it was right here on Don's podcast that they had heard that before. So that's my theory uh, because that makes a lot of sense, right? That big round area of Wonders of Life as the queue and yep. the planetarium and then go out the back and that whole play pavilion idea that may or may not be happening kind of always seemed like a last minute addition 
So that's my that's my theory. But anyhow, I that's a- feel like that's kind of shelved or you know, shelved in the way where you mentioned it once and then you never discussed it again ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean, it's and I don't know, like Ratatouille, that whole thing, like, okay, so you duplicated the ride. I guess that keeps the cost down. Um, but my, here's a thing I have a problem. Here's another thing, Don. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this the other day. So you have space, you have Epcot laid out years of thinking and planning. And how are people going to come into this park? And you enter in that grand entrance way, you hear the music. There's Spaceship Earth, you know, the the tone is set, right? Well, I talked to a family that made their first trip to Disney uh, this past summer, and they'd never been to Epcot, and they were staying at the uh, Pop Century. So what that meant was their trip to Epcot was getting on the Skyliner, and you just kind of get dumped out back in that corner. And there's like- Oh, yeah. It's a terrible way to experience the park for the first time. It is, yeah. Uh, It's one thing when that was just, you know, for those few hotels that were there, the Dolphin and Swan and so forth. But but for that now to be a way that you just get dumped off back in the corner, what is this? You know, there's no grand entrance. There's no real sign of anything. So that's just one of my pet peeves that kind of speaks to thinking more about economy and, and moving people around rather than having a, a coherent vision when people come to the park. Yeah. I feel like that's something Katie, Katie would say, if this is your first trip, get an Uber, <laughs> <laughs> get get an Uber to, to, to your, the first trip to Epcot and then, uh, you know, take the Skyliner back <laughs> so you can have that. Cause it, I mean, when you see it, you can never forget it. Right. I think it it's so impactful. Uh, but I think they were there a week, and I don't think they ever came in the front gate of Epcot. Oh, that makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> sad Dawn. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> because they also, they were doing a thing because of, of shortages and so forth, that they weren't running the buses. Because the bus would bring you to the front. But yeah. Um, any of the Skyliner resorts, they were only running the Skyliner at that time. So you didn't even have the option because I told them, well, take the bus and come in the front. Uh, but that wasn't even, that wasn't even an option when they were there. So anyway, um, you know, it's just, uh, over time you have Epcot that was sort of built as this coherent vision and the more you kind of band-aid and slap things on and, and that kind of stuff, it, it just sort of, I think we're at the point where it's kind of collapsing under the weight of all these different patches and fixes and changes. And I think there does need to be sort of a reimagining of what the whole thing's supposed to be. But what, what we're getting, I, I don't think that's necessarily, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good that they did the neighborhoods thing as a way to redefine the areas of the park, even though, you know, some of us like me, (laughs) I mean, I have this argument about the studios as well. Like, what is that park anymore? (laughs) Right. I look forward to coming back on the on an anniversary for uh, MGM because that'll be... (laughs) 
<laughs> Do you have deep thoughts about that I, one too? <laughs> I have thoughts on that one too. As someone that went into television video production, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on that one too. But yeah, um, yeah Epcot, uh, I, I just, I would be very surprised if someone, even if they love Guardians, I would be very surprised if anyone is filling out a survey saying that was their favorite park today. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I know people that that's their favorite park, but they're also, they don't care. Yeah, They're like, oh, they're just putting in a new ride. I love that. I'm so excited to go on the new ride. And they're right. just, you know, a, they're happier people than me. Maybe I guess is <laughs> what it is. <laughs> are, we, are we dinosaurs, Don? Is that what I, it is? It might be. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, it, 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 it's just My so. My dad I think, will be on the phone after this saying, oh, welcome to your middle ages. And I'm going <laughs> to, you know, all right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, it, when you ask people what their favorite park is, I think to your point, I think now it's which park they had the most fun at. And that's fun is translated as, you know, thrills in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the things that we've lost again, here's my old, put my old man hat on is that Epcot was a park where you could just linger. You could, uh, chill as the kids would say, (laughs) um, like, you know, they used to have that after four o'clock ticket and seniors would go there after four o'clock and just walk around world showcase. Um, you could just, hang out for the day at Epcot. It didn't have to always be everything in your face and, you know, Oh, I got to do this. I got to get a fast pass for that. And that was like the park where it was more about the park and soaking it in. And, and, you know, it's, it's incredible to me, like some of the small changes over time, like the, the losing of the green space. And when you look back and I remember always being amazed by that really short grass they had, in yeah. all of the all of the areas. How is this even possible? Right. <laughs> right. And I remember my uncle uh went to guest relations because he was curious about the grass. And sure enough, they had a binder and brought it out and said, Oh, well, this is such and such grass, and it takes, you know, this is how we care for it. And I, I don't think that's the case now, but there's so much more. Uh, so much of that kind of disappeared over time where you think it's how it used to be. And then you see old pictures and, whoa, wait, that used to all be green over there. And that used to be, you know, so it it's interesting how it's little changes over time. And then all of a sudden you look around and it's, well, wait, this isn't the park I, I, <laughs> I used to like so much. Um, but I will always go there if, mainly for nostalgia, mainly because I feel like I have to ride Spaceship Earth in an attempt to keep it from being replaced. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like I have to pay the tax of, of going yeah. there and doing it. Um, but uh, it, it will always have a special place in my heart. Um, they can't take the, the memories away. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I hope that we're wrong. I hope that future generations go there and find it inspirational and... Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll want to make a trail of water. Uh, I, <laughs> I am actually excited to see what that is going to be. It, it does that one yeah. from what I've read about it. That one does 
it, I, I mean, I believe it's a walkthrough. Right. But, you know, it's a walkthrough thing. But yeah, I mean, I th- it's like an interactive, you know, and it, 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 they need more of that around. Because I, th- I do feel like Epcot, even with all of the new stuff and the changes they're making, you still need that element of letting kids just go right. and touch and just be just do shenanigans. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a good concept. I'm just very skeptical because it seems to fly in the face of everything that that like they've turned off most of the fountains are gone. We can't have a waterfall at the Polynesian. We can't have, you know. Yeah, and so that's true. Yeah. I'm very skeptical that it's actually going to to be the way it's been presented and that it's going to stay that way or is this something that three or four years from now, you know, is it a placeholder until they build something else? I don't know. But uh, yeah. And at the time when it was first announced, it felt like, okay, that's a, that's a neat thing to add on. But now I feel like over time, especially with things like the spaceship earth uh, refurb getting, getting canceled or delayed uh, like the, they seem to be putting more weight on this thing. And at the end of the day, it is, it is a walkthrough, right? So I don't know for to try to, it feels like they're almost treating it like it's this marquee attraction now. Uh, when I think it was better is just, Oh, there's, you can either go this way or you could go to the right and go through this fun interactive water thing. Yeah. I, I agree as well with, with the loss of other things that all of a sudden this became like, you're going to need to like schedule a trip down to Florida <laughs> for $6,000 to see this thing. And it's like, uh, or, you know, maybe you could open Tron, <laughs> which you've already been building for two years longer than it took all of Epcot to get built. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. but you know, I, so, okay, let's turn this to something maybe a little bit more positive. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> we're, me we're, and you could I probably... got too dark yeah. in here. Yeah. <laughs> what? Okay. I, and this is still a look back. I mean, we, we made it 40 years. And so in all of that history and what you can remember, what are like the highlights that stand out to you? Whether it was like a new attraction or you know, something that, you you know, a nighttime show or, you oh, know, wow. in your, in your memory of experiences, yeah. what were like your highlights? I remember being really, really impressed with the show. Um, I guess it was a illuminations before the globe. It was the, it was the show Maybe it wasn't called Illuminations, but it was the show where they had the um, they had the lasers that the yeah, green lasers across I World those. <laughs> yeah, I, I that really stuck with me. That was really impressive. I honestly believed the if we if we could dream it, then we can do it. After being on Horizons, that stuck with me. That was a very positive message that stuck with me. Um, I enjoyed I enjoyed that show with with the nighttime show. Uh, the simple things like the fiber optics in the concrete. Oh my uh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> why is it, why is it so like just delightful? Like, li- like it just, you didn't even have to do it. And yet 
please don't ever take it away. <laughs> and that right. And that's kind of what the whole thing was, was a lot of that stuff that they didn't have to do and they did, and it would just delight you. The the fiber optics. Um I remember uh, you know, talk about uh something that, that they get a lot of bang for the buck, Club Coal. And the original, you know, when it was ice station cool and it was actually like cold <laughs> and yes, there was ice the to go walls. in there. Yeah, you could put yeah. your hand on the ice on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and that was another one of those things where like it, it, they didn't have to do that. And yet, you know, that that's a memory that sticks with me. Um, it, just that I think why I was so sensitive about about those folks coming in the back is just that feeling of hearing that original music and coming in the front and and seeing that giant giant sphere there of spaceship earth uh, you just it's such a statement that you're somewhere that's like nothing else anywhere else this is the only place you're going to find this um Except for that park in Europe that Europa that sort of has the dome, but we're not, that's more of a ripoff of Epcot. <laughs> but uh, just the, the, the scale, the sheer scale of that park and the sheer scale of the, especially the original rides and, and how long the experiences were. And the other thing that I think about sometimes is when I was going to that park, uh, my grandmother was with us and she could go on every ride at Epcot. And so the whole family could go on rides together there. And that's something that always stuck with me that I feel isn't a priority anymore, you know, as we've got this thrill ride, but it's highly limiting the audience compared to a slow Omnimover ride. So that idea of uh, experiencing these things and experiencing them with people of any age and people that you would never, I, I would never... If it wasn't for Disney and Epcot, I would never expect to be on an amusement park ride with my grandmother who was in her 70s at that point. So that's that's something I'll definitely, you know, take away from there is is just the the feeling of everybody's in it together. Everyone's experiencing it together and and what we could do together in the future. Just that that overall feel is what sticks with me. That makes me actually want to talk to my parents about it because I'm curious about their perspective, watching us experience it mm-hmm. and be like, Oh, I want to, you know, I mean, my, my brother is like into video gaming and stuff. And like, you know, he was probably losing his mind and communicor, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I don't even remember it. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm imagining like, us tell you know us telling them oh my god this is you know and i'm gonna do this when i grow up and you know their thoughts about that but that's such a good point i didn't even think about that like yes literally every ride there was no limitation you everyone could go on it and it it is i can't mission space (laughs) oh my god (laughs) the last time i rode mission space was in 2010 i'll never my husband and I going on it and it was his first time and his last <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. and we got off that ride and we tripped over to universe of energy where we laid down on the <laughs> ride. Cause you know, it's like a 45 minute ride or whatever. Right. Right. And just like, 
tried to control whatever was trying to come up. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I was like, well, that was super fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like literally afraid to go on the Guardians of the Galaxy ride because I'm like, I don't know if I can handle what, what all of that is. But also, you were a lot nicer to your grandma than we were to mine because we made my grandma go on Tower of Terror. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, wow. I, uh, I'm not, not my, none of my family would do it. So I didn't do it, um, until I was going there as an adult on my own tower of terror, rock and roller coaster. Um, yeah, those were all later on in life. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I have to say definitely as far as highlights, illuminations, really any version of it, but I particularly loved reflections of earth and tapestry Mm -hmm. of nations that parade, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. So good. So, so good. And the rainbow tunnel. Like, oh, shout yeah. out to the rainbow tunnel. <laughs> I, ta- I love that, too. And I mean, talk about something that it costs them literally nothing in this grand scheme of things to to the goodwill they would have to bring back the rainbow tunnel anywhere. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's it fits with, you know, it makes a great background for Instagram. So the whole yeah. activation thing. Um, there's stuff like that, that. I can't. We made it how long into the show and you said <laughs> activation. I'm editing that out. <laughs> <laughs> the synergy machine requires it. Yes. I'm going to make a shirt. I'm going to make a shirt and put it on T public that says I'm here for the activations. <laughs> Not it's just lying. Gonna, it's just going to be a series of different colored walls <laughs> when you go in. Uh, yeah. Oh, goodness. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so let me ask you this: as as someone who worked there, d- did you have a different perspective on Epcot? I, I mean, did that did it still feel different to you when you were there? When well, I was there basically two thousand one to two thousand four, mm-hmm. minus like a six month time period where I was back in Michigan. But that that's kind of the part of the period where I feel like it really found itself before the changes came because not long after that you had the change to Rio del Tiempo and then Mm. United Technologies pulled out of the living seas and they stopped the pre-shows so you would just right right go into the hydrolator and then they made like a bypass where you didn't even, so you could just go into the aquarium part. So you weren't (laughs) getting, it was just like, here's an aquarium. Cool. Mm -hmm. Bye. Um, (laughs) You know, that all happened after I left. So when I was there, I mean, you were talking about how you could buy like the afternoon ticket and stuff. When I would work in the mornings or the afternoons, you know, it get off at seven and the park was open till 11. Like that's where we would go. And it was yeah. like you said, we, w- we didn't even have to go on a ride. We're just to be there because it smelled good and you could get a drink and walk around and meet your friends. And maybe I'll maybe I'll go on this ride. There's a 10 minute wait. Maybe not. Maybe I'll just do the mile loop around the water and watch the show and go home. And it wasn't it was like just a place to be. And I yeah. like enjoyed that. Like to this day, there's there's an. There's no feeling like being in World Showcase at dusk. 
like mm. as the sun is setting and it's getting dark and those lights are coming up i'm just like <laughs> i asked i asked a question a while ago <laughs> in our facebook group about like everybody's park like i did a poll and my brother commented i must be getting old because i almost picked epcot <laughs> <laughs> and i felt i was like you know yeah like i'm 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 right there with you like i still have those i still have those feelings about it but and i like the seas with nemo and friends but i wish it was different <laughs> right yeah. like it's fine but so i I feel like what I was there at the exact right time to, 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 it was like one foot in the past of old Epcot because all of those attractions still existed, even though journey into imagination was <laughs> garbage. <laughs> at least we still had something right. of figment <laughs> and then one foot in the future of, I mean, I got to do cast previews of mission space. <laughs> so, you know, I saw that change over into what it was going to become. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Eh, I, I do, I, I miss, I miss those years. I miss those years of Disney, not even specifically Epcot, but like just sure. all of Disney, but um, yeah. Do you, is there anything that you can see that's been announced or, you know, looking forward that you're excited about or like even that hasn't been announced, just like the possibilities of what could come in the future? I, I'm interested to see what, if anything, happens with the Wonders of Life pavilion. Um, I wasn't, I was skeptical about that whole play pavilion concept, but you know, we've lost Wonders of Life at this point. So it's like, well, you know, it's better than nothing. So let's see what it is. Um, I, I'm interested, like I said, I'm interested in the concept of Moana. And, and if that, if it is, um, as it's been portrayed, I think that could be an interesting addition. I was actually kind of excited about some of the stuff that got uh, cut, like when they were talking about having that elevated platform for you know, for events behind yeah, Spaceship Earth. Yeah. I thought, well, I okay, that that's gonna take some getting used to, but it felt like a modern interpretation of what Epcot should be. So I thought, okay, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Uh so, you know, I, I do think there are some announcements that you can kind of get excited about, like again, the Moana thing, but I can't like I'm not gonna have a countdown timer on my <laughs> On my wall to get excited for the the walkthrough, uh, the interactive water walkthrough, you know. So it's like there are definitely some exciting things, but they're kind of very uh, ancillary and very small in the grand scheme of things. Now we'll see. You know, we hear these rumors about maybe a Brazil pavilion and and some other countries maybe coming to World Showcase, but I feel like we've had that for a long time. But that would be exciting. It'd be exciting to to see some new countries added. Um, so, you know, and we'll see what happens with the new show. Um, see if we get rid of the barges uh, <laughs> that just got there. Yep. Just, um, I doubt some people think they're going away. I doubt those are going to go away already, but we'll see. You know, I, I think they definitely can put together a great 
outdoor show and that particular area is so unique to all of the parks. You don't really have that big of a, a water um, area to do a show over. Uh, I would love to see some things with drones. I know they have done that at Disneyland Paris. So, you know, I think there's still a lot of possibility and a, and a lot of uh, opportunity. And I try to remind myself that this whole thing is a pendulum and that, you know, there were times in the past that were not great times and things swung back around and smart decisions were made and, and things got better. Um, so we'll see. And, and, you know, that gets to some larger issues about the parks overall, but for Epcot, there are small announcements that I think are, are promising and we'll just have to see if, uh, if there's anything, anything bigger in the works. I mean, I think that is a great way to put it. (laughs) I feel (laughs) I concur. (laughs) Um, Okay. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Do you have any closing thoughts or anything we didn't talk about that you need to get out there? Like besides your... (laughs) And another thing. (laughs) You need to get off your chest. (laughs) Well, I I will say this. Um, First, let me get this off my chest and then maybe I'll have a, a, a parting thought. But I will say this, that Epcot, it's it's a little bit like the whole issue with Tomorrowland and trying to keep ahead of the times that, you know, we talk about that, that those kind of magical eras of Epcot and how it's similar to World's Fair. But the advantage that a World's Fair had was that it only had to make it one year or two years and then it went away. And your memories were, you know, the amazing things that you saw there. The New York World's Fair didn't have to try to reinvent itself for 40 years. So it's important to keep in mind that, you know, it is difficult what they're trying, what, where the bar is set, if that's what you're trying to do uh, with that park. But I think the other thing to take away is that purists or not, so, so, so many people were inspired by it and did make career choices and did become interested in things because of what they saw there that that doesn't go away. Um, That impact that Epcot had on millions and millions of, of young kids through the years uh, has already happened and has already, you know, shaped a lot of people's career choices and we will never know, how many STEM careers and and discoveries and everything else came out of that? So we'll always have that, uh, even if they even if they make the whole thing into a DVC resort tomorrow. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so that's 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 the thing I, I would just you know the positive is is all of the the impact that the park did make through all the generations, r- regardless of of what happens going forward. Where can people find you on the internets, the interwebs? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they're certainly welcome to check out the theme park trivia show. And I think we're going to be looking for some contestants early next year as we go into loosely what we're calling season two. Uh, so they can go ahead to theme park trivia show.com or theme park trivia show on YouTube and I believe Park Trivia Show on Twitter. We couldn't get the whole name; it was too long. Um, but that's the best place, and and uh, check out check out the show. And I promise, although we're um, 
a little uh, sarcastic at times. It's generally a more positive outlook <laughs> than, than what they've heard today. But um, that's that's where people can find out more. And the World's Fair movie, the documentary, you can find that um, on YouTube at uh, World's Fair Movie. So I'll link all of these things in the show notes too for everybody. I I do. I mean, I recommend both things: the trivia show and. Because now, because now Katie is every time an episode comes out, she's like a week ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, why is my life not letting me watch this? But um, the the show and, you know, you can test your knowledge, maybe see how much you need to work on your own trivia. And the the um, World's Fair movie is really great. Lots of original footage and lots of, you know, interviews with disney imagineers which is so cool (laughs) um you know bob gurr and roly crump and marty sklar just really i'm glad somebody took the time to do that to make to so that it exists going forward (laughs) because you know bob gurr's like a thousand years old you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) going strong going strong uh, yeah yes (laughs) does somebody somebody needs to follow him around with a recorder and just like record everything he says um because he's like the last guy that was around in walt's time so but yeah definitely go check those out i'll link them in the show notes and with that we are gonna pull up to our stop and i'll say see you real soon everybody oh cool we did it we did did it. it that's a wrap on this episode thanks so much for riding the red line with us Thanks to my guest, Ryan Ritchie. Please be sure to go back and check out episode 49, where we discuss his newest project, the Theme Park Trivia Show. You can find links to After the Fair and the Theme Park Trivia Show in the show notes so you can subscribe and follow. Now that you've had a listen, we invite you to join our Main and Magic Friends community on Facebook to share your thoughts about the episode. You're welcome to pop in to start a conversation, share stories or photos, ask questions, and give advice. This is your place to connect with other Disney fans. Head to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash main and magic to join. If you've got a comment, question, or show idea, you can email me at mainandmagic at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share it out on social media and pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening, and of course, in the Disney tradition, around here we don't like to say goodbye, so we say, see you real soon! Mm